Section 29 of Mounties in the News. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by David Lawrence. Canadians in a Ferment by the New York Times. Canadians in a Ferment. Riel's fate overshadowing all other questions. Excitement growing more intense as the hour for the hanging of the rebel leader draws nigh. Montreal, November 15. The great, and, in fact, the only topic of conversation here is, what will the government do with Riel? And, as the hour fixed for his hanging draws nigh, without any signs of a reprieve, the excitement grows more and more intense. The Honorable Mr. Chapleau has left the city without giving any indication as to what the policy of the government will be. But the French members are not yet discouraged and hope against hope. They say that Sir Hector Lavienne and Mr. Chapleau were sent here to feel the pulse of the French Canadians before any decided policy was agreed upon. But this theory is too weak to convince anyone, and hardly themselves. There can be little doubt that Riel is spending his last night on earth, and for his death the French members will be as much responsible as the Ontario Orangemen. The government would be more or less than human if it altered its decision now, in the face of the open threats leveled against it by a number of the conservative representatives of the province. If the conservatives, who talked of bolting, and if certain sections of the French-Canadian press were really interested in getting Riel hanged, they could hardly have employed surer means to succeed than those they have used. By publishing their threats to the Premier, and by making such public avowal of holding him responsible for Riel's fate, they have most assuredly tightened the noose around the unfortunate man's neck. Whatever remote chance he had of escape a week ago, he has, it is generally believed, lost now. The government has itself acted far from judiciously. Sir John A. Macdonald had his mind made up long ago as to the fate of Riel, and in his decision he was upheld by the whole cabinet, with the exception of the French-Canadian and Irish elements and even these latter were by no means enthusiastic in their support of the half-breed leader had the government then declared its intention to carry out the sentence of the law should it be upheld by the privy council the french canadians would in all probability have seen the utter futility of the agitation and the province of quebec would have been spared the bitter feeling that has been raised between the different nationalities and which has several times already brought us almost to the verge of civil war. Even now nothing definite is known, and consequently the people are thoroughly unsettled. The witness says, and in doing so it voices the sentiment of all classes, quote, Is the government waiting until Riel has become pronouncedly insane, which, unless he is exceptionally callous, he is not unlikely to do under his present treatment? Sir John A. Macdonald has often been called Old Tomorrow, even by his friends. His worst enemies would not, previous to the Real Affair, have accused him of putting off a decision from time to time when it involved cruel torture to a human being. Even the worst enemies of Real among the English people here have come to think that the unfortunate man has already suffered enough, that imprisonment for life would answer all the ends of justice and that if he were hanged, it would be less than murder, but, at the same time, they have been so irritated by the brutal attacks made on them, 
and the threatening language used by the Riel Defense Committee time and again that they would not take the slightest step to prevent the execution, even if it were not too late already. Unquote. There seems to be the greatest difference of opinion as to what would be the result of the hanging of Riel, but no one doubts for a moment that a political earthquake is at hand. The French members, with only two exceptions, threatened to go over to the opposition at the opening of the next session of Parliament, and by no other course could they make themselves more popular with their constituents. But, on the other hand, they have been so well drilled and are so completely controlled by Chapleau and Lavin, their representatives in the cabinet, that many persons believe they will be whipped into line within two weeks unless their leaders could be got to resign. The defection of the French-Canadian members would leave the government in a minority in the House, and cause either its resignation or an appeal to the country. Should the government be forced to commute Riel's sentence now, when the commutation would be so unmistakably in deference purely to the French-Canadian pressure, it may last until the next general election. But no longer, for the certainty is that the Conservatives would not then carry ten constituencies in Ontario. There is, therefore, every prospect of trouble for the government, and the explosion which seems to be imminent may be followed by a reconstruction of political parties all round. La Patrie, Mirbeau-Grand's paper, is not satisfied at the stand the members take. It asks, quote, Why don't they go to Ottawa as a deputation to Sir John to give a helping hand to our French-Canadian ministers? They have served the old chief with sufficient devotion to have the right to make their voices heard in a crisis like this one. No, they remained with arms folded, only uttering sterile wishes, without having the energy to take practical measures to put in force the ideas of their constituents. La Patrie, in another article headed, quote, The Massacre of the 27th, unquote, says, quote, The fortnight opening on Monday will merit in our history the name of the bloody fortnight. It was believed that Riel would suffer for all, but in this we have been deceived. Sir John set at liberty the Orangemen who were implicated, but he must have the lives of the Indians and half-breeds to satisfy his inveterate hatred. Nine men condemned at one stroke. This is a veritable auto de fe. One must go back to the massacres which followed the Sepoy mutiny to find another such instance of butchery. When the half-breeds and Indians have paid their debt to the ferocity of Sir John A. Macdonald, let the French Canadians beware, for it will be their turn next. L'Extendard, which is controlled by Monsignor Fabre, Bishop of Montreal, says, quote, no one can foretell the consequences of the execution of Riel. This judicial assassination goes to prove that the government is animated by a cruel ferocity and will complete its iniquity by steeping with delight its hands in the blood of its victims. But there is an end to all human patience, and there will be to ours. If the French-Canadian ministers accept the responsibility of such inhumanity, are they insane enough to imagine that there is a corner of this province in which they can hide, and where they will not be held up to scorn and disgrace? Unquote. A fight broke out between some Englishmen and French Canadians last night in a saloon on Craig Street, where a hot discussion was going on over the Riel question. 
the French Canadians attacked the English with sticks and beer bottles, and would probably have killed some of them had not a young man drawn a revolver on them. The police were called, but made no arrests. There is some talk of holding an indignation meeting this week if Rial is hanged, but it is hoped that wiser counsels will prevail. Monsignor Grandin, Bishop of Prince Albert, has made a complete somersault in reference to Riel. In his sermon at the Royal Catholic Cathedral tonight, he referred to Riel as a half-breed chieftain whose extravagant notions had led him away and who had urged the ignorant people into rebellion against church and state. He went on to depict the awful ravages caused by the war, homes destroyed, women outraged, and men murdered, and said Riel had defied the priests and murdered two of them. He closed by inferring that Riel had deserved his fate. These outspoken utterances from a man who has hitherto been a staunch friend of Riel created a sensation among the congregation, who seemed utterly taken aback by the bishop's change of tune. Ottawa, November 15. The French Canadians of this city and district are greatly agitated over the expected hanging of Louis Riel at Regina tomorrow. Men, women, and children are excited. It is understood that Sir Hector Levin, Minister of Public Works, who returned from Ottawa last night, will insist upon the acceptance of his resignation, so that a ministerial crisis, followed by a reconstruction of the cabinet, is looked for. If the French-Canadian members of the House of Commons carry out their threat to oppose the government, the latter may be defeated next session. The jubilations of the Orange Party over what they call their triumph in bringing Riel to the scaffold has greatly angered the French. It has transpired that Riel was hanged in effigy at the Dominion Police headquarters yesterday morning. Some rioting is feared in Montreal, Quebec, and elsewhere if Riel is hanged tomorrow. The Governor-General's warrant ordering the execution was forwarded on Thursday by Chief Sherwood of the Dominion Police, who expected to reach Regina this morning. The Montreal Post, organ of the Irish Catholic population, calls upon Costigan, Minister of Inland Revenue, to resign if Riel is hanged. But Costigan is not likely to comply, as he claims to be a poor man and cannot make $8,000 a year at any other business. Quebec, November 15. The attitude of the French Canadians on the Riel question at present is one of suffering in silence. The stand taken by their newspapers in the matter is very resolute, and the English population feel very uneasy. All sorts of interference to save Riel's neck from the rope is being invoked. It is evident that there is a terrible current of feeling existing among the French Canadians. It is learned from the best authority that a secret and special meeting of the French Conservative members of Parliament convened tonight. A French cabinet minister will, if Riel is hanged, be burned in effigy in the streets here tomorrow night. Winnipeg, November 15. There is not a shadow of doubt now that Riel will be hanged tomorrow morning. Sherwood, chief of the Dominion Police, passed through here this morning by special train with the warrant for the execution and will reach Regina during the night. The execution is fixed for eight o'clock. Riel is fully aware that his end is nigh, but still maintains that, even if hanged, he will rise again in three days, and then his power will be felt. He has had another vision 
or claims to have had one, but his spiritual adviser, Father André, refuses to make it public. Everything is prepared for the execution. Twenty feet of rope, which is now being soaked, was purchased the other day in Regina. Considerable betting on the event has been indulged in here, even up, but it is now practically at an end, no one venturing to wager against it. The expected attempt of French half-breeds to rescue their leader by blowing up the police barracks last night was not made. The extraordinary precautions taken probably frightened them. Similar precautions have been taken tonight. Regina, November 15. The special messenger bringing the warrant signed by the Governor-General of Canada, directing that the execution of Louis Riel should take place in accordance of the verdict of the jury which tried him, arrived here on a special train at eight o'clock tonight. There is no longer a doubt that Riel will meet his fate at some hour tomorrow. The arrival of the warrant was a surprise even to many of the officers, who, owing to the late hour and previous delays, had argued that another respite would follow. Riel received the formal intelligence at nine o'clock tonight in his cell in the mounted police barracks three miles west of this city. The intelligence was conveyed to him in person by the High Sheriff Chapleau. Riel, who had been conversing with the surgeon of the post, rose and welcomed the sheriff in a hearty and thoroughly unconstrained way. His initial greeting was, Well, and so you have come with the great announcement. I am glad. I am glad that at last I am to be released from my sufferings. I desire that my body shall be given to my friends to be laid in St. Boniface. This is the French cemetery across the Red River from the city of Winnipeg. The sheriff asked him if he had any wishes to convey as to the disposition of his personal estate or effects. Mon cher, he replied, I have only this, touching his breast above the region of the heart. This I gave to my country fifteen years ago, and it is all I have to give now. End of section 29